Welcome to Film is Lit. That's the working title for our uh, five subscribers. Hello, Mom and Dad, and hello, Laura's parents as well. My name is Danny. I'm the film expert. My name is Laura. I'm the book expert. Ooh. <laughs> We're a real-life couple, so I know what you're thinking. What if they get into a fight? Well, that adds some drama to the podcast, an extra element. See, you don't just get, well, I should introduce the podcast or, or what it's about for new time listeners. This is a podcast where we review a piece of literature and we review its film adaptation. We compare and contrast and see what they've adapted and changed and how the movie is um, differs from the book. So yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, Laura, you start us off. The book came first, so. Right, the book Lolita came first. It was published in 1955. I'll give a quick synopsis in case anybody has not read it. So spoiler alert, also, I'm going to say spoiler alert, but also hopefully this is your only relationship with the book because you'll find out later, but I do not suggest anybody else read this yeah, book. Yeah, your general thesis <laughs> is that it's bad. And yeah. you and your your stance is a tough one because you're trying this is would be considered a classic piece of literature. Yep. Uh, so you have a lot of explaining to do, Missy. I have a lot of explaining to you <laughs> um, as to why it's a it's considered a classic. Yeah. So let's start out with the synopsis. So First of all, the book is framed, uh, which is a literary term <laughs> that means that the book doesn't open with the narrator. It's framed by someone else who's seeing, who's framing this story, this like this memoir, quote unquote, of Humbert Humbert. So starts out with this psychologist who's editing Humbert Humbert's memoir that was written in prison. Um, so kind of like after the fact, the story is done and Humbert has died in prison, this psychologist is editing his memoir. So basically the book opens with Humbert's confession that this is something, this, this story is going to be sort of his like dirty secret and you just have to watch it unfold. Um, so he discusses how he came from Europe to America. Um, supposedly he's a writer, but you know, as you go through this book, you kind of realize that he's an unreliable narrator. So we honestly can't really trust anything he tells us except for the fact that actually, and this is interesting too, but kind of later I'll talk about how like a lot of his throwaway statements are the things that we can sort of trust the most. Um, but anyway, so comes to America, boards, himself with this older widow who has a daughter. Of course, the daughter is Dolores Hayes, aka Lolita. He falls in love with her. He ends up marrying her mother because he wants to make sure that he has 24-7 access to Lolita. And then the mom ends up dying, um, hit by a car. So that enables Humbert Humbert to kidnap Lolita. He takes her on this like road trip all around America. Quick interjection. Sure. How old is Lolita? Yeah, it's a good point. I hate to say it, she's 12 years old at Ooh. the beginning of this novel. So yeah, thanks for asking me to <laughs> cover that little side bit of information. Yeah, so Humbert Humbert, we come to realize, is probably in his 40s or 50s. Lolita is 12. 
they enter into a sexual relationship, which is very clear and very explicitly communicated, I think. Um, they finally settle in, I think it's Ohio, it's at Beardsley College, and then sort of some stuff happens, they end up hitting the road again, and then Humbert Humbert realizes they're being followed, and this person that Humbert Humbert sort of gets paranoid about ends up sort of stealing Lolita away again. We find out that it's someone that Lolita actually fell in love with when they were in the place where she grew up. It's her drama teacher. And then she is sort of taken, I think, like to the Southwest, uh, like Arizona or New Mexico. And the only way that she gets out of that relationship is because that older man tries to get her to participate in some porn movies, pornography, and she refuses and so he kicks her out. And then at the very end we find Lolita is writing to her father hoping that he'll give her and her new husband some money because she's pregnant, they have no money, and Humbert Humbert goes to like upstate New York and he ends up giving her the money and he ends up, in exchange for the money, gets the information about who the man is who kidnapped from her, Lolita from him on that whole road trip like a few years ago. And then he goes and kills Quimby, who's the guy. Um, yeah, and so... Quilty? Quilty. Did I say... What did I say? You said Quimby. Okay. He said, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But anyway, uh, ends up being Quilty, and he murders Quilty. And that's the end of the book, so... Wow. That I'm, was a long synopsis. I'm uncomfortable. I probably could have cut that down a little bit, but that is what happens. I'm That's, leaving it all in. I edit this thing. I didn't even want <laughs> to say all of that. It's uncomfortable to talk about because it really is disgusting and, abhor and abhorrent. Mm, good vocab word. I feel like I need to take a shower. Well, thanks for that. You didn't read the book. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> I didn't. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, I read it for you. Mm, I love you. Really, I do. Baby. See, this is what you get with a podcast hosted by a real-life couple. I think we're the first podcast to ever be hosted by a couple. Fact I check. I don't. I don't... I, well, I'm not going to do any follow-up <laughs> research. That's true. I hope that's not true for the rest of your content. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I don't do any fact-checking here. I'm, <laughs> I'm the movie expert. I watch it, and then there it is. I watch it, so I'll tell you about it. Okay, so I just went over the storyline of the book, mm -hmm. so I want to see, even though I watched the movie as well, I want you to point out if there were any changes made in the, in the Stanley Kubrick movie, because that's mm -hmm. the one that we watched. The 1962 Stanley Kubrick movie. Yes. Um, no, from what you have told me, they pretty much adapted it straight from the book, although they just condensed it a little bit, and... The original author, I know, who's the original author of, of the book of Lolita, Vladimir Nabokov, who also wrote the screenplay. Right, he wrote. wrote well, he wrote the uh, first draft. Okay, uh, and more on that later um, okay. of the behind these. Oh, so many so, questions. Yeah, so he wrote the first draft and was heavily involved um, in the pre-production of this movie. And basically, Stanley Kubrick took that script and condensed it because. The script that, I'm forgetting his name already. Vladimir Nabokov. 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 Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the script that Nabokov 
wrote was 400 pages. How long is a normal movie script? So to put it that into perspective, the general rule is that one page equals one minute. So it would have been a 400 minute <laughs> okay. film, which equates to just under seven hours. Some quick, how, quick math yeah. there. How long, sorry, can you remind me how long the movie was? The movie was two and a half hours. So it is a long movie. Yeah. So basically, too long at that. <laughs> so basically <laughs> what Nabokov did was translate his book pretty much literally onto, into a screenplay. And what Stanley Kubrick did was condense it, and he he took the ending, which was Quilty's murder, um, Humbert murdering Quilty, and put it in the beginning. Because according to Quilty, both the book and his screenplay lagged in the middle. So he's just like, we need to add some intrigue to this. We need to add an extra level, some spice. So we're going to put this scene the ending at the beginning you don't know who quilty is or i mean i guess you don't know who humbert really is either you don't know the relationship you don't know what's going on but we're gonna start it with this murder and we're gonna end we're gonna slowly lead up to this so the whole time you'll be figuring how how did we get from point a to point b here yeah so the story like you said is just condensed but it still is i mean it's a pretty long long movie, but it's one of the more, I think, literal book-to-screen adaptations that we're going to have on this podcast, I predict. Um, we'll see. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, I have so many questions for you uh, about the movie because you know so much about movie history. And oh, facts, stop. But I'm really, but I'm continue. Really, I can't wait to find out. But first, I want you to walk through sort of your Lolita adventure. So how... When in your life did you find out Lolita was a thing? Um, when did you first see the movie? I want to know all that personal stuff first. Yeah. Well, listeners and my dear Laura, um, I'm a film major. Surprise, or I was a film major. And like most film majors, I became really invested in auteur films in high school, you know, thinking I was really edgy and cool. And I think that Stanley Kubrick is obviously one of the auteur directors of all time. He's definitely up there in terms of everyone's universal rankings of best directors. So I really started watching his movies in high school, and Lolita was the one that it kind of it has this reputation as the forgotten Kubrick movie because there's really none of his signature flair to it. And I, you know, I knew it was a novel in high school, and I read the synopsis, and I was like, no interest. I'm sure, I'm sure it's great. Uh, Kubrick directed it, but I just that doesn't really seem like something that interests me. So I, I didn't watch it through throughout high school and. In film school, I made an effort to watch all his films, and I did, except for Lolita. That was the one really? I didn't. So you didn't even check the box? It wasn't even like a, you know... Like yeah, no, I didn't. I, I even went to his first uh, film, uh, Fear and Desire, and then The Killing, and uh, right before this film came out, he directed Spartacus with uh, Kirk Douglas. I and yeah, that that was another epic. So he had just, he had done a, a war epic, and then, you know, Spartacus said ancient Rome. Sure. Um, <laughs> epic. Uh, and then then he was kind of a director for hire and came on to this film 
very late in the process and it just it doesn't have any it, even from well its reputation was such that it, it didn't have any markings of a Stanley Kubrick from it that it was a good film but at that point when I was in film school I just didn't I, I still didn't have any interest and um, again knew it was a classic novel so when we finally started getting this podcast going and you had just read Lolita, I thought, oh, I know there's a film. This might be a great opportunity to talk about. Finally check that box. Finally check that <laughs> box. And also it's a good way, um, even if we don't like the movie, I know you didn't like the book, but even if we didn't like the movie, we could kind of rope in another movie that is similar thematically to Lolita and it could kind of be considered a very loose twisted adaptation of the book is the 2013 movie Stoker right directed by Park Chan-wook one of my another one of my favorites but that's that's later on let's not get to that right now so yeah that's basically my relationship to it and now since we're new at this Laura's mouthing to me to ask me <laughs> to her to ask her what's her relationship I'm not going to cut this out. Laura, my dear, um, what is your relationship with the book Lolita? Well, I even feel gross about using the word relationship, even asking you oh, yeah. that question, because I don't know if you can call anything about this book, like, I don't know if anything about this book qualifies as a relationship um, other than an abusive one. Uh, but anyway, so I don't know when I learned that Lolita was a book, but I don't think it matters how young I was to like, I think I immediately had the reaction of, I'm sorry, <laughs> there's a book about a prepubescent girl being in a sexual relationship with a, with a, you know, middle-aged man. And, um, it's a classic, like, First of all, right off the bat, like, what are you supposed to think? Um, so I obviously had no interest in reading it ever, and I was never assigned this as a liter as a book to read in like a lit class or an English class, which I think um, is lucky. I don't know how we would feel, especially you know, like with the few male English teachers I've had in my uh in my during my education like I don't know how I would feel having like a guy tell me to read this too mm -hmm. like I think I I'm glad that I was never assigned this as reading um so yeah I avoided it for as long as I could I got my degree in English and this book I think I found it at a thrift store and I was I just kind of like naturally pick up classics at thrift stores because I'm like well like all right I'll get around to them eventually and this I actually picked up because I read the book Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl, and I mm -hmm. hated it. I loved Gone Girl. I read Sharp Objects, and it was so dark and just, like, gut-wrenching and awful. I was, like, I, like, like, took a sweeping bookshelf, uh, look at my bookshelf, and I was, like, what? <laughs> what do I follow this up with? And in my head, I was like, well, Lolita can't be worse than Sharp Objects. That would be it. impossible. And just to interject again, so you hate a classic piece of literature, and now Sharp Objects, which was adapted into a critically acclaimed HBO show, Patricia Clarkson won the Emmy for Best Supporting Actress. You're saying you hate that 
as well. So <laughs> I didn't see the show. I'm right. sure I'll watch it at some point. But yes, I did not like the book. Okay. In fact, I was warned by your mother not to read the book, and I did it anyway. Mm. <laughs> and guess what? She was right. I didn't like it. And then I followed it up with Lolita because I thought it couldn't get worse. Sure enough, it could get worse. Um, I don't know if there's anything worse than um, rape and entrapment of young women. <laughs> well, sure. So, so yeah. Anyway, I, I read the book. I hated it. Um, I don't think I really paid too much close attention to it because as I was watching the movie, something sort of struck me as new. And I was like, did that really happen in the book? And then I went back and read the synopsis of the book. And I was like, yeah, sure enough. Lolita was kidnapped for a second time by this older, this other older guy. And um, so anyway, yeah, so I read the book, dragged my feet to watch the movie, did not like the movie, didn't like a lot of elements in the movie. But Danny also showed me the movie Stoker. And we can talk about this later, but I had no idea this existed. And it took Danny a while to show it to me because there's a little bit of violence, which I usually have trouble with. But he showed it to me and I fell in love with that movie. So while our podcast is Lolita-themed this episode, I think we're going to end the episode by saying, forget Lolita exists and go, go watch Stoker. Stoker. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I think we're going to wrap up Hell this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, let's talk more about, about sort of the differences between the book and the movie and how that sort of plays out and, you know, what the choices were made in the movie versus the book and stuff like that. So, Sure. As we mentioned before, moving the end to the beginning, I thought was a great decision. But I think the biggest difference between both the book and the movie, the most glaring difference, is that uh, the sexual relationship between Humbert and Lolita in the book is explicit and, and detailed and graphic. So, yeah, sorry, I'll just interject too. So it's not, it's not graphic. It's definitely clearly there. Like... I think the the language is like it's it's from Humbert's perspective. He's trying to normalize it, and you know he clearly masturbates and has sex with her, but he doesn't say like you know we pulled off the road and like took our clothes off and had passionate sex. It's more of like oh I like had my way with her or I you know. It's, it's a lot of euphemistic language. So I, I was just going to say, like, it's, it's definitely there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not super explicit or graphic. It's just, like... Got it. Yeah. It's right. clear. It's not explicit. Right. You read the book. I didn't. But to clarify, they say that they kiss and do it in the book, right? Yes. Got it. Okay, yes. that's what I'm trying to get to. Because in the movie, it is all implied. There is... I'm trying to remember. I don't think it's ever shown that Lolita and Humpert mm -hmm. kiss on the mouth in the movie. There's even on the mouth. It's only on the cheek and everything else is implied. And, and this was not a deliberate choice because back when this movie came out in 1962, the MPAA was much different than it was today in what you can show, what they would allow and what they wouldn't. There's a thing in effect until 1968 called um, the Hayes Code, which was kind of the motion pictures, um, I have it right here, motion picture production code. So that that governed what you could show and what it couldn't. Basically, it was the strict list of things that you couldn't put, so you couldn't show any explicit sex, or or you couldn't have any swearing, or, or a basic, it was just a big old buzzkill, right? Much different than what it is today, of course. 
So Stanley Kubrick was pressured by his code to censor the entire book, um, censor the entire script. So basically what he did was just resort to innuendos and implying, which implying the sexual relationship, which I didn't really get until about until about their road trip, which by then, you know, they had been having sex for a while. Right, but you, you like, asked me. I like, asked oh, you. I'm like, just like, oh, are they doing it? Like, or, in the like, book, like, have they gotten together yet? Yeah. Or, like, what I, they, I was... What lines have they crossed? Yeah. And sure, I'm not the smartest man, but it did fly over oh. my head. It It is... It it was such, it's such a vast censorship. And also, he was um, pressured by... Not only pressured by Hayes Code, but also the Catholic... Legion of Decency, which was another agency that Ew. that literally they would they would uh, censor films. That right. it was Hayes Code and the Catholic Legion of Decency. <laughs> That's so you ridiculous. could imagine they ju- they decided what you could and couldn't show up until about 1968, when the uh, traditional MPA rating system, as we know, came out, which like which would notice. which was yeah 1968. The rating system was either your G or your R. It was a G, P, G, R, or if you're, you know, or X, you know, if you triple show X. triple X, <laughs> hardcore. Um, and then much later, I think in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, the PG-13 rating came, and then now it's kind of slowly become more lax. You can show more stuff in films. But so, yeah, this is all the way back, 1962. You couldn't show any of that stuff, especially, you know, or a uh, pedophile having uh, relations with a child. So you couldn't show that at all. So it's all, so that's the biggest change. Is that you don't really see anything. And it led to a bunch of confusion on my part of not really knowing what, because neighbors are, are getting suspicious, you know, people approaching Humbert. And, I, you know, I suspected that there was there was something there, obviously, because of the narration of, and he's obviously um, attracted to Lolita, but I just wasn't sure. And um, this kind of makes sense. In an interview, uh, 1972, Stanley Kubrick um, had an interview, let's see, I have it here, with uh, Joseph Gelmes, and where he said if he had known of all the harsh restrictions he would have making it, he would have, quote, probably wouldn't have made the film, end quote. Okay, that's really interesting because I I'm surprised that not even ten years passed before this this novel was turned into a movie. Right. Like, so it came out in 1955. It took Vladimir, I think it was like a couple years to get it published because originally he wanted to publish it anonymously, and then these publishers would read that and they were like, "No, we're not fucking publishing this. Like, it's." Mm-hmm. trash it's smut it's um pornographic and so the only published the, the publisher that decided to finally publish it only did it because vladimir Bokov was like okay i'll put my name on it and it was banned immediately <laughs> from multiple countries i think like britain france um banned it and so the fact that like there are so many movies and and or there are so many books that, like, wait for, like, decades to be made into movies. Like, this turnaround for this movie, for this book, is, like, not even ten years. Like, how does that happen? Like, yeah. how how does this kind of content get that much? And now there are two movies. 
right? right? Like, I just don't understand that. And I think that gets to, like, a deeper question that I, like, have really struggled with, especially even just, like, diving into this book, because, I like, I barely even wanted to do any research. Like, I barely really wanted to Google this, because I know, really, all you have to know is the basic storyline. You know, this middle-aged man entraps and rapes a 12-year-old girl into her teens. Again, like, even just even just reading this book, I kind of felt gross. Like, am mm-hmm. I contributing to the status of this piece of literature as a classic, you know, even just by reading it, by paying attention to it, by talking about it? And I still feel that way. Like, that's why I would not tell anybody to read this book mm-hmm. um, at all. I don't think I would tell anybody to read the, uh, to watch the movie. And we, we, we can talk about the movie a little bit more too. So like, if you're going to make a movie about this book, and we're going to talk about this with Stoker. Stoker takes this disgusting situation and gives all the power back to the entrapped girl. I feel like if you're going to take this book and, you know, do anything with it, the best thing you can do is acknowledge that what happens in it is unacceptable and elevate it. Take that take that disgust and take the fact that like really shouldn't be a classic anymore and turn it around and give the power back to the young girl who ends up being entrapped. Like, so that's what happens in Stoker. And that's why I fell in love with the movie because like you get this super, super strong character with India and like, again, spoilers ahead, I guess if you haven't seen the movie, but we definitely recommend seeing it. But the whole theme of her character is that, you know, she was a hunter and like she was taught by her dad to recognize signs and to use them to her advantage. And that's how she would like, that's how she would hunt and that's how she would take advantage of her situation to kill the prey. And so in that, in Stoker, that's what she ends up doing to the guy who who's trying to entrap her, her older uncle, who comes back to, like, have sex with her and, like, take her away from her family. And she ends up killing him because she recognizes the signs. She uses them to her, her advantage. And then she ends up killing him and then leaving and becoming this, like, vindicated, dark, like, yeah, sure, she's a serial killer. But, but like, you love her and you, like, you see this power that she's come out of you know her situation with Mm -hmm. whereas with Lolita like she just turns into this broken thing that like clearly I mean how can you not be broken from that situation and like I think it's a total cop-out for a man writing this book Nabokov to just say like that's what would happen like you know she's up dying in childbirth she's like what at the end of the story she's like 17 she hasn't she dies in childbirth like to me, that's oh, a, I did, that's a di- the movie. Well, I guess the movie doesn't get to that point. But so um, in the book, no, she I, dies. In, I think there's a title card at the end of the movie, isn't there? It says she dies on Christmas Eve. But we can go back and double check. We can fact check. Fact check. Fact checking. We like we said, we don't fact check on this podcast. <laughs> don't have the time. Uh, even in quarantine, can't be bothered. Right. <laughs> can't um, be bothered. But yeah. we're putting out a okay. podcast anyway. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, well, it okay. Well, so you know that in the book because it's in the beginning. It's in the framed section, like, right in the beginning. But anyway, uh-huh. so, like, to me, it's just frustrating to see, like, you know, 
rape, and especially rape at a young age, is so traumatizing. And as a society, we see this happen to real women. And we see real women come out on the other end incredibly stronger, ready to talk about their experiences, ready to help other people get out of those situations. And so again, with Stoker, you get this like, this like powerful feeling of like that, you know, these things might happen, but people can come out on the other end and be stronger. And with the book and with the movie, because it's such a, you know, pretty much one-to-one remake, it's like, you don't get that vindication feeling of like, fuck Humbert. Like, why is he, why is he like, what he, he literally dies in jail, but it's because he murdered uh, Quilty. It's not because he raped a 12 year old. Like, that's, that's awful. I just, I think that's just, why would you, why would you write this awful, awful book and then end it with Lolita dying? You know, Humbert isn't even in jail because he raped her. It's because he killed Quilty and that's it. That's what women get. That's like, that's, you know. Uh-huh. Anyway, yeah. that's a rant, but. Well, yeah, no. Um, and I can only speak to the movie. And of course, I don't know how much this argument has credence being that I'm a man, but I saw the movie and I'm, I wouldn't rec- recommend the movie either, although I'm happy we watched it. And I think there's plenty to discuss from it, but I viewed it as at the end, it's like, I, I viewed it as like, yeah, you are, you are broken from that. Lolita being broken from that where I think uh, Stoker um, excels though, to your point, is that it, it does end up giving the power back to the main character, India. But, you know, I think whereas India was the main character of Stoker, whereas in uh, Lolita, it's actually, you know, it's not Lolita, it, it's Humbert. And I think both can be viewed as kind of the Stoker is a more kind of per- progressive, uplifting, if you will, view on how on giving the power back to the victims and Lolita the movie adaptation is more of of more stark reality of showing that like if an evil act an evil person comes into your life you can't you know you it's more of a you know condemnation of the man as opposed to Stoker is kind of more of this like powerful message um for it's a more powerful symbol for women. The movie is interesting in that it doesn't make you sympathize at any point with Humbert, but it's a very human look at an evil person. Very right, you can have these movies depicting villains in a certain light, but Lolita the movie is kind of an experiment, if you will. On, on showing a very evil person in a human light. Now, whether it's appropriate for this experiment to happen is, a, is another discussion. Do you think that, is it okay in this instance to depict a sexual predator in a very human way, in a realistic way? No, I guess is my off the bat answer, no. I think that we can admit that obviously the people who per- portray these crimes are humans and nobody's perfect, but in my mind, there are lines that you don't come back from. Mm-hmm. And rape to me is one of those things, especially, you know, rape of 
either a woman by a man or a young girl by a man, that power dynamic is so damaging no matter how much, you know, work that that woman does. Like, I don't, it's really hard, I think, for men to understand the pain that and the trauma that that causes and that's coming from a woman who has never I've never been raped I've never been you know seriously sexually assaulted but I've certainly been certain uh, sexually harassed I've been touched inappropriately by men and you know I've had comments made sexual comments made to me toward uh, from men that made me feel very uncomfortable and so I understand that nobody's perfect but I think even trying you know, why waste, to me, it's like, why waste the energy to try to understand where the man is coming from and, you know, why their actions might be valid when you need to be focusing more on, like, how is it fair that, you know, these women, and again, I'll take me as an example who has not been through seriously traumatic sexual experiences, even if the story is not uplifting about, you know, where I've, how I've gotten through things or how I've overcome them or what I've done to overcome them, like, it's more important to hear the victim's voice. I mean, I, I personally just have no um, forgiveness and no like no interest in understanding where that person was coming from who you know sexually assaulted her, Lolita, um, or me or any other woman. Like I'm more interested to hear the victim's perspective because it's I would rather hear that story. That's what's important. Yeah, and I don't ever think the movie explicitly says that his actions are valid or you know, like I said before it never makes you sympathize for him or puts him in any good light at, at any point right I, but and yeah and I think like I I totally hear that and one of the things that really bothers me about the book is how you know the whole idea is that Humbert is trying to normalize his behavior you know and he he calls the young girls that he falls in love with nymphettes he goes even far enough to suggest that Lolita is the one that started the relationship or, you know, started trying to seduce him. Like, those, like, you know, he's just trying to normalize this kind and, and try to get you to understand where he's coming from. And that's just so manipulative that it's interesting. I think the movie is from his perspective and it's obviously narrated from his diary. Like you see him, it's not necessarily made clear that he's reading it from his diary. You mm -hmm. only really find that out like after with that little title card about like, oh, this was taken from his diary. He died in prison waiting for his trial, blah, blah, blah. Like in the book, it's very clear. You already know because of the framing in the beginning that this is what he wrote to try to get the jury to understand where he was coming from with the relationship. And so you can't trust anything that he says, and it's so manipulative that all he's trying to do is to, like, get you to understand where he's coming from. And it's like, I just, like, I just reject that, and I say no. I, <laughs> I don't believe that I need to understand that, and mm. I don't believe that that is, that's not something that anybody should be, like, ensnared by. So I don't give a shit about what people think about the pros. I don't care about people thinking that. Like, I, I just don't even want to hear any analysis. I think that's why I kind of stopped at a, after a certain point. And, you know, there's this epilogue that was actually published with the original book that Vladimir wrote. What was it called? It's called On a Book Titled Lolita. And he just talks about how, you know, people were so scandalized by him writing about this kind of topic. And I, 
was just absolute. I wanted to throw the book. I mean, I hated the book. I wanted to throw the book across the room the entire time I was reading it. But reading the epilogue was even more just enraging because he has such a flippant attitude toward the content, you know, and he like, he hides behind all this like literary language, like, you know, the way he created the, the names, Humbert and Lolita and, ha you know, all this stuff. And it's like, in the end, he wrote a novel about a, a pedophile raping a 12 year old girl. And I just, I don't want anybody to get distracted by the conversations about how literary it is or any of that stuff because that's really what it's about and he decided he made the choice to spend years of his life writing this he was very proud of it he was very proud after it got published and banned and he loved the movie I read that online somewhere that he absolutely adored the movie thought it was great that's what it comes down to is that's the story and that's what he decided to make his career at, or um, not make his career but like make his money on and I just I really want to remind people that like this is a story about rape and entrapment and kidnapping and it's not about anything else so but then it begs the question as to why it was adapted in the first place especially by such yeah, an auteur who at this point in his career he hadn't fully broken into the mainstream it wasn't until um a couple years later when he made dr strange love was uh, when Stanley Kubrick really uh, became rose to prominence, um, and then and then from that movie on, he really had he he got to direct whatever he wanted. He got full carte blanche uh, creative control, and mm -hmm. you can kind of that's kind of reflected in the time between movies. It, early on in his career, he used to make a movie every two years, and then after Doctor mm -hmm. Strange Love. It was about five years and then seven years. And then he started, you know, but he made The Shining and Full Metal Jacket. And um, I think Stanley Kubrick trusts the audience enough, no, to not be ensnared by Humbert. Mm -hmm. And I think going back to the kind of experiment of this all, it is, you do get some kind of justice. Justice isn't the right word because Lolita leaves Humbert in the movie for another predator uh, who's older, uh, Quilty. But it it is seeing that mystery unfold of them driving across country, being pursued by someone, the kind of paranoia that unfolds. It is it is an interesting itch to be scratched of that. You're kind of your my heart rate was kind of increasing. I was I wasn't I wasn't scared for Humbert, but I I realized that everything was coming down on him and it, it, there was drama in that even though he was a pedophile there is there because there is still drama having Lolita be with him and you don't know what's going to happen and if he's going to just fully break it, it, it's a different kind of thing uh rooting for Humbert is not the right word but you you're just wondering you just don't want him to break you want Lolita to be safe somewhat uh, well yes of course you want Lolita to be oh. safe but you don't you don't know what she's up to too. So there is a lot. I think I think you know Stanley Kubrick is is doing a good job of both indicting Humbert and trying of showing uh, the outcome of such a you know a toxic predatory relationship. But where yet yeah, where he fails though big time is that he wasn't able to unfortunately show anything so it's kind of confusing what their relationship even is sure yeah no that's a really good point i have two things to say after that too like so 
first of all, did you ever, at any point, did you think that the person following them was the police? Like, did you think that Lolita had been able to contact someone else to help Right, her? yes. I, that whole, it was all confusing. Right. Yeah, and even... Well, it's funny, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so tragic, too. Like, you would think, you know, at one point he catches her on a payphone. At another point, you know, he sees her from out the window of a gas station rest stop like he's in the bathroom and he you see him watching Lolita talk to someone in the car and it's like well she at any at at maybe a few points um she could have gotten away to the point where she could have made like a call and you know it's like it's it is kind of strange but it's very like consistent with abusive relationships to not seek help or not understand that you're in that like in a dangerous situation and so it's like even more tragic that she ended up falling into the same situation again mm-hmm. um right and the other thing i wanted to say about that too is like his behavior of acting so paranoid when they're driving and when he goes to pick her up at the hospital and he realizes that she's not there like that he's so paranoid i think that shows that he knows what he's doing is wrong that's something that you get from the book and the movie like in the book, he's so paranoid when he is writing about, you know, when she finally leaves him and, like, she can't, he can't find her and, you know, he wants to track her down and he spends a couple, I think he spends, like, a year or a couple months or something, like, looking for her because I think he's concerned and he constantly asks her if she's told anyone, like, her, you know, her schoolmates, the nurse, who, fun fact, is played in the movie by the woman who plays Monty Penny in a few James Bond uh, movies. That was pretty fun. Um, But, like, he's constantly asking her, like, did you tell anyone about our relationship? Like, who have you told? You know, accusing her and then getting so paranoid about the car following them and, you know, the the phone call that he gets in in his motel that doesn't happen in the book, I don't think. Like, I think that's one of the indications that he knows it's, you know, wrong. And he calls himself a monster plenty of times in the book, too. But again, it's like, it's just that it's because he wants to manipulate you, I think. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, he knows it's wrong. And yeah, I mean. Well, yeah, well, we're at the end of the discussion. So we already know you wouldn't recommend the book. I don't recommend the book at all. I wanted I wanted to say one more thing about the movie. Gotcha. I think it was kind of strange how many comedic aspects there were. Yeah. Well, um, we should say uh, the character of Quilty played by right. Peter Sellers. Sellers, who was obviously one of the biggest comedians of all time. And this was his prime when this came out. Oh, yeah. And he's he plays an American. He, he does a great German accent. Mm-hmm. He, he plays a stuttering, like, he pretends he's a like an investigator or something at one point but yeah it's really weird like there are a lot of comedic like I was laughing and when in the in the opening of the movie when um Humbert goes to kill Quilty oh my god he's hilarious like the the opening scene is so funny like he's literally he's obviously a British actor as an American acting drunk so like in the beginning he's not actually drunk so Mm -hmm. he's pretending he's drunk but then he like goes back to like not being drunk and then like basically having like a slapstick death by shooting mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and it was so funny and like I don't know like how does that fuck with your head kind of <laughs> yeah and he is in plays a German doctor yeah. well he 
in the movie, he's not actually German. He's he's in right. a disguise. He's the German. He's quilty as a German doctor. Yeah. But yeah. So what? Some fun facts here. Peter Sellers modeled his American voice of Quilty after the direct after Stanley Kubrick. Really? He said, "Yeah, he tried to imitate his voice as well." And you can kind of hear if you hear any interviews with Stanley Kubrick of recordings, it, it kind of is similar and it's kind of like a monotone, kind of a slight New York accent like that, a little bit, a little <laughs> yes. bit nasally like that. Sure. Yeah, it's very similar. And also, what he would do since. And you can kind of tell that there's a lot of improv going on. Oh, I, can't, there. I can't, but I'm not an actor. So. Well, <laughs> um, well, I mean, you can tell by it's just whenever Peter Sellers is on screen, he's just like, the scenes are long because Peter Sellers is talking. No, no matter what character he's in, he's just talking, talking, and it's so funny. Um, I would argue the movie is a little long and some of those scenes could have been cut, but that opening scene is hilarious. Um and what Stanley Kubrick would do was he would just, he would have two or three cameras. He would set them up at the beginning of the scene. And then he would just let Peter Sellers do his thing. That's so interesting. And cut. So you can also kind of tell too. And this is another part, um, kind of a technical part of the movie that I didn't really, it didn't really jive with me. There are a lot of continuity errors, like between cuts. Yes. You can tell characters yeah. are different places. or they're really, good. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very, and... For, as far as I could tell, this is the only Stanley Kubrick movie that's um, like that. All his other movies are very technically polished, almost to a surgical degree, where it's it's so precise and everything is on his mark, and he's famous for that kind of precision. So it was weird to kind of see that. But he would set up these cameras, and Peter Sellers would know his lines, but he would go in, and Stanley Kubrick would just let him go. And a quick... Sorry, may I interrupt? Uh -huh. um, I'm wondering if there, who decided to put Peter, who decided to cast Peter Sellers? Like, how did that? I don't know that, but clearly, uh, Stanley Kubrick was a fan because his next movie, Doctor Strange Life, right. Peter Sellers plays uh, three characters, I believe, and that was also he implied he used the same strategy of having a script that Peter Sellers would b consult basically, and kind of him just improving off that and of course we get some of you know the funniest scenes um it's just so yeah it's so interesting because obviously like if you're sitting in 1962 casting a movie peter sellers is one of the funniest like he's an obvious choice for a comedic movie. hot commodity hot yeah. commodity yeah <laughs> but so you enter into the production of a drama of a very serious topic uh, based on a book that's obviously been very controversial in the recent past, and you call it Peter Sellers. Like, yeah, I mean, happen? and that, that's another part of the movie that's kind of weird because online everywhere it's labeled as a comedy drama, which is really weird. And that's I, weird. it's labeled as that, and what? in the movie there there is a, a ton of comedy too. Yeah, literally up, up to the point where it's like slapstick. Yeah, like, well there's the that beginning. there's a slapstick bit uh, with the cot bed that they bring into the yes, hotel room. I about there's that. there's like a 5 minute scene that has nothing so to do strange. with anything, but it is hilarious, but it's something you see in like uh, Buster Keaton or a um, Yeah, like Marx Brothers Marx Brothers movies. Yeah. So it's like weird to have that interrupt this kind of Yeah, it, it's just it's it's both odd but it also works sometimes, which is why this, this movie to me is, it's just so odd because you have this, 
you have this auteur director and there are a ton of long shots, a ton of the acting across the board is is pretty great. I agree. But at the same time you have kind of you have all these continuity errors, you kind of have a weird kind of like a why is this adapted a vibe to it and I don't to be clear, I don't have this in same intense intensity um towards the story as as Laura does. I I'm not saying that it should have been adapted. I'm just as as a director myself, I don't really see the value of of adapting it. I I I, I just sure. don't know why it exists. Well, in any- one of the reasons that I found online and talking to some other people about you know why this book is considered a classic, people say it's because it's Vladimir Nabokov's love like love letter or like infatuation with the English language and I guess it's weird to me that it's been considered such a literary piece like actively literary or um what's the word like self-consciously literary Mm -hmm. that that would translate well into a movie because again we've we've talked about how controversial and honestly abhorrent the content is so like if the real point of the book is the fact that Vladimir Nabokov loves the English language and he's great at writing it, why not? Okay, so like that is an interesting concept. I love the English language. I love, you know, reading other people's work. But then why not make that the story? Like, why make a one-to-one comparison movie right off a book that's clearly supposed to be about the language, not about the content? Like, maybe that's why it's not working. Yeah. Um, but... I I kind of wanted to bring Stoker back into the conversation because if, so, you know, let's say best case scenario, Vladimir Nabokov writes Lolita, everybody hates the content, it's forgotten. (laughs) This book is forgotten, best case scenario. Mm -hmm. And then more than half a century later, almost like 60 years later, um, I'm sorry, remind me of the director's name? Park Chan-wook. Park Chan-wook comes along happens upon this old weird novel that was written in 1955 and what he gets out of it is oh my god I could take this idea of a young girl getting or you know maybe you know getting lured into a relationship with an older guy and then coming back and saying nope I have the skills to turn this into my advantage because I know I'm a serial killer and yeah. I want him to turn I want to turn this man who's trying to exploit me into my victim. Yeah. No, that that's best case scenario. Best case scenario. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a I mean Park Chan-wook is a director known for his like Stanley Kubrick his technical craft. His movies are very meticulous and that's definitely oh, yeah. you can definitely I mean, tell this... that in Stoker everything uh, he Park Chan-wook uh, storyboarded every single frame of the movie beforehand it was a long and it's a short movie 90 minutes but could you, have been longer yeah honestly. I know you, I could have had more yeah this this is now the Stoker podcast we're just uh but honestly we, yeah we uh, <laughs> we're, just about this for another gushing, hour. we're just gushing over this movie but it's very proficient and and so when you take that technical craft you combine it with this very mysterious lurid juicy thriller um plot you get you get fireworks here yeah and it's set up with these great uh flashbacks of her hunting with her father yeah and sort of learning through body language alone zero dialogue 
about how they are, you know, laying out in the grass for, like, hours on end, and he gives her these tiny, like, you know, the flinch of an eye or, like, the, like, the tensing of a finger on the trigger to teach her, you know, and, like, build up this skill in her that you have to watch and be observant to make sure that you can exploit the thing that you're hunting Mm -hmm. and, you know, use all of their movements to your advantage so that you know their weaknesses and, like, oh, man, it's just so, it's so great to watch. And, like, let's be honest, Danny has to screen all the movies that I watch before I watch them because I do not do well with violence. And there were even some scenes in this, in Stoker, that I didn't watch fully. Like, I watched through the the filter of my, you know, eye, of my fingers. But, um, yeah, like, the violence is so realistic and it's... Visceral. It's, yeah, it's just, it, like it happens and it's it just it really sucks you in and you know it it's it is taking you to that place where you you are a little bit afraid for india you're like does she understand what's happening but sort of almost subliminally you know because she's studied you know sort of the art of hunting like she's aware of what's going on and it's all sort of playing into her hand rather than into her uh, her uncles which yeah, is I guess that's kind of another um, parallel with I I honestly think that this has to be almost like a direct remake like not remake it, but like a it's loose 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 remake of it right but but if you think about it too because like because Lolita's father has died mm-hmm. India's father dies in the beginning you never meet him um, except for like in flashbacks and then her it's her uncle that comes in and sort of is pretending to seduce the mother, which is but, exactly what happens. Yeah, but Lolita, doesn't she call at first Humpert, like, uncle? Isn't he known as, like, a uncle? And then yeah, when he becomes yeah, uh, he, her yeah. mother's husband, you know, like morphs that. into dad. So, yeah. Yeah, so oh. it's, it's really, really close. And, in fact, this is something that kind of blew Danny's mind because if you watch Stoker, there's this whole thing about shoes. Mm-hmm. And every single year, India is gifted on her birthday a pair of saddle shoes. And there's this one incredible sequence. It's so beautiful where you're shown the passage of time seeing saddle shoes in the same box get smaller and smaller and smaller and then bigger and bigger and bigger. So you see that like as she's growing, she's getting these saddle shoes for her birthday. And on my, it's funny because like when Danny and I were done watching the movie, I pulled out my copy of Lolita and I think this, this has to just be like total crazy coincidence, but the cover of Lolita of my book is a young girl's legs of basically like the knees down and she's wearing a pair of saddle shoes. The exact, the exact same shoes in the movie. It's. So when when yeah. was the book published? This this so edition this one came out in like nineteen ninety seven or something. Oh, okay. So like it's I mean, it would have been out there yeah. to see, I guess, but it's not like I mean they this don't is mention been do they mention saddle shoes in the book? Or is that just No, I think this cover? is literally just like a cover of the Got book. It. Yeah, so it was yeah, June nineteen ninety seven is when this reprint was published so yeah probably a coincidence but also maybe there's a chance that there is that he saw it i don't know something close to it but yeah there's just so many overlaps that i i really think like if you want to see you know and (laughs) even though we spoiled it i mean this is a spoiler podcast podcast, um but even though we spoiled it 
it's still such a fast-paced, you know, it's yeah. a tight 90 minutes. So, I mean, you, you've got the time if you're listening to this during quarantine. You've got Nicole Kidman, Han Solo, what's his name? Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> he is a small, uh, Aaron, uh, Alden sure. uh, uh Elden. Han Solo. Han Solo. Well, <laughs> young, not my solo. Um, <laughs> um, Harrison um, Ford's my Wonderland. solo. Um, um, Mia, Mia Wachowski sure. plays India. Matthew Good, Matthew Good plays, plays the, the Humpert-esque character. character. Yeah, uncle, so, yeah, yeah uh, it's it, it's fun. So uh, definitely check it out. Yeah, so um, to wrap it up, I'm going to say zero out of four stars for this book. Go ahead and don't read it. <laughs> don't waste your time. I promise it's not worth it. Um, yeah, what about you? Out of four stars, what about the movie? Before I say my rating, so you didn't like it? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. So for the movie, I mean, this is such... It's such a weird thing to even rate because it's like... It's a movie. It has a story that was at some points compelling and at some points it was hilarious, but... Again, I'm happy I'm happy that I did watch it and it wasn't a bad movie. Like it wasn't actively bad and it was interesting to see like I was mentioning earlier. It's just you, you don't see predators portrayed like this. And in a way humanizing them makes them even scarier, right? So you don't see that often. So I think it has some value there and like if you're as fan of Stanley Kubrick, I mean I I guess, but you don't really need to watch it. But it's not, like I said, not actively bad. It's just kind of proficient. So I don't well, know. Have you since you've seen you've seen all of the Stanley Kubrick movies now? Is this yeah. The last one. So would you say it's like worst out of all of them, or where would you put them? At well, see, it's kind of like I don't know. It's not necessarily worst of the best, right? You know, his first, his very first film. He just, you know, had a micro budget and it's not really great. I mean, it's probably towards the end. But I, again, it's not a bad movie. And I don't think Stanley Kubrick has made um, a bad movie. But, I, you know, proficient. So two and a half out of four. I, I would never I would never recommend it. Also, a part of me does feel bad for being a product of its times. Being Stanley Kubrick had to censor everything. Sure, he knew he had limits. He, so he had limits. Yeah, and it's kind of after 1968. Uh, when the Hayes Code uh, went away, he was kind of had free reign to really like dive deep and get um, when explicit. Two thousand one, maybe this is like a total sixty. Tangent. I think the same year Hayes Code went away. Sixty eight, right? Sixty eight or sixty nine? Let me just fact check. Fact check that. Elevator music. Sixty eight. There you go. <gasps> Yeah, so, but I mean, 2001 is not really, doesn't really have any no, explicit about. content. But I mean, you can see, I don't know if it's a coincidence that the year that the censorship was uh, kind of, not, not necessarily went away, but was uh, lessened significantly, was also the year that Stanley Kubrick was really able to come into his own. Well, Dr. Strangelove was before that, but whatever. What I'm trying to say is that two and a half out of four stars for the movie Lolita. Two and a half. I'm, I'm honestly surprised. It's not like, it's not bad, but it's yeah. not good. So I think two and a half is very like, you know, it's 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 a movie and it's there and it has some good elements and it also has some weird, yeah. it has some weird like why is, why, why is this a thing elements. But yeah, it, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up our discussion about 
Lolita and Lolita the movie and Stoker. Stoker, yeah. So if you get anything from this, it's watch Stoker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, uh, Mom and Dad and <laughs> Rebecca. And have and a safe Pete. quarantine. Have a safe quarantine if you're listening to this in the future. Um, what's life like? Did we make it? <laughs> Probably not. No, we did. Uh, um, oh, who knows? Uh, anyways, I'm Danny. I'm Laura. And this has been Film Has Lit. What? We're new. And this has been Film Has Lit. I'll edit I'll edit that out, but see the thing is I'll keep it in and I'll keep this part in to show you that, you know, we're wholesome and earnest. All right. Peace out.